you please join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, these are striking words and tough, and it's tempting to avoid them. But your word is good, and there is life in your word. And so as we explore these paragraphs, I pray for your help as the preacher, and I pray for each one of us, Lord, to have soft hearts towards you on these topics. I ask this in your holy name. Amen. Well, again, good morning and uh, welcome you, those of you especially that are coming into the church this morning. It's good to see people. Thank you again for wearing your masks. Um, This morning, I want to suggest to you that there are few topics in life, very few topics in life, such as sex and marriage, that have such high potential for joy and goodness and delight, and also such terrible pain and heartache and hardship and suffering as those two topics. And it's, uh, it's tempting as a pastor to just kind of skip over these passages. And maybe you've never heard these topics addressed in a church. I know quite a few people say that's true. And yet they're so highly relevant to our lives. Not a week, maybe even a day will go by when someone won't talk to you about either their marriage or something about sexuality or certainly anything you see on TV or in a novel you read or on the internet or whatever. I'm also very much aware that I am handling dynamite here. This is powerful stuff. And it's dangerous in one sense. And as I look out here, and I know those of you at home that are watching, there's much pain around these two topics. There's hurt, there's injury, there is shame and residual guilt from things that you've done wrong. There's even church injury. And that grieves my heart maybe more than anything, that you've come maybe to a church, not, hopefully not this church, but you've come to a church at, at a point and you thought there would be help and you found judgment, and you were treated as a second-class citizen, and you were shamed and shunned. But I also know, having been in this church as long as I have, I know many of your stories. There are incredible stories of healing, of second chances, of learning and growing from past mistakes, of experiencing God's presence, His power, His holiness. And your second marriage is exemplary. You ought to be mentoring and coaching young married couples. I know both of those and probably everything across that spectrum are here in this room and also in the audience watching on Facebook. This is important. Now, the series that we're in, we're calling um, the Sermon on the Mount a Mountain Climber's Guide. And the Sermon on the Mount, it's not a mountain like Mount Everest. Jesus just went up on a hill by the Sea of Galilee and he taught his disciples. But the topics are the size of Mount Everest. And just like mountain climbers have guides to help them get up there. We need to go through this, and we need some guidance, and we need to learn how to understand this, because Jesus said some shocking things in here. Consider verse 20, which sets up the section of this sermon on the mount. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. He's saying, Their righteousness is too low to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, you know, that's a a mountain to climb. What does this even look like? How do we do this? That's shocking. And with that statement, then he starts to make a contrast. He goes through six, what I'll call, you have heard it saids, you have heard it saids, where he lays out something about the current teaching those religious leaders were, were teaching, and then he says, In the authority of the divine Son of God, he says, but I say to you, 
And he takes the teaching and he explains it in a deeper and fuller way. And so there are six of these. And last week we looked at the topic of anger, and which is a type of murder in the heart. And today we're looking really at the topic of adultery under two headings, lust and divorce. Adultery of the heart and adultery, if you will, of the court, causing adultery through divorce. He handles those two issues here. Now, I don't have to tell you that we have a problem in our society with lust and divorce. I don't even have to spend any time explaining that. You know that's true. But there's really two approaches. The way the world is approaching the problem is it's simply lowering the standard. If you lower the standard of those topics of sex and marriage down to match the current performance level, you don't have to do anything. No change is required. And that's pretty much what's happened. But my goal today is I would like to actually raise the standard back up to what God's view looks like, as well as offer you hope. I don't just want to raise it so high and say, there's Mount Everest, you can do it, go after it. But there's actually hope. Jesus intends his followers to live like this. This is actually for our lives. And keep in mind, it was his disciples, the students of Jesus, the ones who were trusting in him that came up on that mountain. He wasn't speaking to the general crowds now. He was saying, you ones who are followers of me, let me tell you about the character and the behaviors and the true righteousness of those who will be part and are part of my kingdom. So he's speaking here specifically to Christians, followers of Christ. So the question I began worship with this morning was, am I clear enough on God's view of sex and marriage to recognize and even challenge competing ideas? And those competing ideas might be your own. And so can you recognize them? Do you see the difference? Do you know what God's views are? It's kind of a game I play now when I watch movies, <clears throat> especially rom-coms, romantic comedies. Um, it's a game like uh, when in school you would be given a list of things and you'd have to put them in chronological order. Order these in the way that they're supposed to go. So here are the things I'm looking to put in order or see how badly out of order they are in the movie <clears throat> or the story or whatever. Marriage, dating, saying I love you, having sex, and living together. Put those in order. And I, it's not funny, but I laugh because the Hollywood representation, and I just saw it this week, goes something more like this. Boy meets girl, they go on a date, they have sex, they make plans to move in and live together, and then he says, I love you. And she goes, <gasps> like that. Like she can't believe, and she's really wondering, should she say it back? Just pay attention to what you watch on TV and see if the order is something like that. Words are cheap. Who cares? What does it mean to say, I love you? Other things are much more expensive. They're a giving of self. It's difficult. Marriage and sex are God's idea. He invented them. They're actually his invention, and they are part of being an image bearer of him. So with these topics, he's eager to help us. His guidance is there to help us. He came up with these things. We didn't invent them. Mankind didn't invent marriage or sex. They were God's institution, and they're part of our being an image bearer. If you think of both of those topics, it's really about self-giving and delighting in the beloved. Well, who is our God? He is a trinity of persons in unity doing just, just that, delighting in one another and self-giving eternally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And marriage and sex are part, not exclusively the only thing, but they're part 
of being image bearers of the Trinitarian God we worship and serve. Now, I do want to say to those who are single, that singles, there are other ways to do this. There are other ways to be self-giving. There are other ways to delight in people that you love. And this topic is important today because most of us, most people will spend at least part of their life married. And you, if you're single, can encourage others in their marriages. You can encourage your friends. You can encourage those who are struggling to press through. You can ask them to slow down with the D word, divorce. Don't go right to that. Do the work of discipleship. Understand God's view on marriage. You can be part of helping and healing. And a note to those of you that are married. Look for ways to include single people in the community. You know, if you're married and you didn't make any plans, you default have somebody to hang out with on a Friday night or a weekend. Single people don't. Maybe they have a roommate, but they have to work at being part of community. Don't just think couple, think community. Look for ways to invite and include singles in, into what you're doing. Marriage is actually not about the individual, but it's about the community. Think about this. God made Adam and Eve and then immediately married them. Marriage was the first institution created for humanity, the first one. It's a foundation and building block of all human society. So it matters to singles, it matters to married people, it matters to everyone. And in societies where marriage is strong and thriving, the whole culture is strong and thriving. And where marriage is suffering, the whole culture is suffering. This is about a community. And a problem that we have is in the West, the Western world and this society, we're very individualistic. Sex and marriage are seen just about me and my needs. It's not seen about, uh, viewed in terms of the whole community, the society around us. And it becomes individualistic. I have a Pew Forum here from uh, 2013. They asked a bunch of people what the top reasons were for getting married. Kind of like Family Feud survey says, um, the top reason in 2013 that people thought others got married for was for love. 88% included love at the top of the list as something that was a very important reason. 81% making a lifelong commitment. 76% for companionship. Now note, most of those, those three things are really individualistic to the couple. In terms of having children, only 49% put that on their list as a top reason for getting married. And only 23% said for legal rights or the benefits. And keep in mind, in non-Western cultures today, and in most cultures through history, in this country not that many decades ago, marriage was not primarily about love and individual fulfillment. It was about raising a family. It was about security. It was about society functioning well. And it was about retirement. Before there was Social Security or 401Ks, your retirement plan was to have lots of children so when you're old, they can care for you. That's the way human society has run forever and ever and ever. It's only the modern, recent decades in the West that we have 401Ks and Social Security and things so we can go our individualistic way and not have to rely on others. But marriage is, has become individualized but it's actually meant to be corporate. It's, it's a building block of society. And so, if there is an enemy of God and his people, which there is, the prince of this world, Satan, and he does not fight fair, but he comes to steal and kill and destroy, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he's gonna attack a foundational building block of society. 
if he can attack sex and marriage and tear those down, the whole house falls down. And so we've been under attack for a long time. I found, um, you know, you can look up statistics. There are a ton of them out there, and you can twist them if you want. Um, 2018, on the CDC website, which we've spent way too much time on lately, they actually have some marriage statistics. In 2018, all of the marriages in the United States, it was 2.13 million. That includes first, second, and third time marriages, all of them. And the number of divorces that same year was 782,000. So that's 36.6%. Now, that doesn't mean that all those marriages last. It's just saying that many marriages and that many divorces that year. And we say half of marriages fail, um, but that's not necessarily true. It's more like in the 40% area for first marriages, it jumps up to between 60 and 70% for second, and jumps up over 80 for third time. And it gets aggregated down. But what was encouraging is that the number, uh, the, the divorce number percentage-wise is actually going down in the last 10 years. But some people suspect that's because there's such a low view of the success of marriage that less people are getting married. They just live together. So let me read something from 10 years ago that George Barna said, the researcher, as he was looking uh, into the, the stats. He said, there no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. Interviews with young adults suggest that they want their initial marriage to last, but they are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There's also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage, in which a person gets married two or three times, seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. Barna said that in 2009. So I wonder if people just are backing away from marriage because they just don't think it's going to last. Now, <clears throat> let me jump into our specific topic today. I want to go to the actual text here. I think I've set up the, the area, the topic enough. In verse 27, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. It's actually a direct quote from the Ten Commandments. You can find them in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, you shall not commit adultery. And so when he says, you have heard it said, the teachers rightly say that. But then he takes it further and he says, but I say to you, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we're talking about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law and the heart issue. Jesus is always going to the heart. Now I want to say quickly just three things about this one and then I'm going to move on to the other one. Um, people say about lust, and in particular pornography, it doesn't hurt anyone. I've heard people say, you can look, just don't touch. But obviously, Jesus thinks this is very serious, because what he says right after that is he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose a member of your body than the whole thing be thrown into hell, Gehenna, the fiery trash dump. Jesus is putting it on that level of seriousness, so to say it doesn't hurt anyone is completely wrong. Jesus is saying this is serious. And looking with intent is different than observing beauty and admiring it. And you know where the line is in your heart. And what C.S. Lewis once said that I think is right is there is something growing in each one of us that unless it's nipped in the bud, it will eventually become hell. It will grow and grow and grow. And looking with intent to lust is a cultivated habit. We are choosing to cultivate this habit, to fix our eyes on things, to imagine, to think, to use our mind, and develop the habit of doing that. Second thing is there's a cultural explosion right now on this topic. 
Um, somebody I talked to who's been in licensed therapy as a counselor for many, many years, before the internet, when she was training, she was told that generally for men, sexual addiction starts in the adolescent years. And it's assumed that if they can make it through the adolescent years, they were pretty much okay. However, that has changed thanks to the internet. Now sexual addictions are starting in all demographic decades of life, middle-aged men and beyond, that never struggled in their younger years for whatever reason, have found through the internet an addiction. Also, and I was, I was actually shocked at this one, I went to the Ministry Living Without Lusts uh, seminar a couple months ago. It's a Jacksonville-based Christian ministry for sex addiction for men. They said the fastest growing of porn addicts is women ages 18 to 35. So what used to be called every man's battle, to quote a dated book title, is no longer a men's issue alone. It's men and women. It's all of us. The internet has blown this up. I don't want to say any more there except this. Don't suffer in silence. I can promise you in this church, the clergy are full of grace, will welcome the conversation, and will be kind, and will be understanding, and will pray for you, and there is freedom. There's freedom from this. Don't suffer in silence. What the enemy does is he tempts you, and then you fall into sin, and then he shames you and says, See, you're not a real Christian. You're worse than everybody else. Nobody else is as bad as you. You better hide this thing, buddy. That's what he does. He points his finger like that. While many, most of us are wrestling with this. And so I want to encourage you to bring it into the light. Come, ask for help. There's prayer. There are prayer appointments. There's pastoral counseling. There are professional counselors. There are really good ministries and resources out there. Jesus wants you to be free. Come and be free. Now, verse 31, he's continuing the topic of, of adultery beyond the letter of the law. So it's not just the lust thing. It's also the, the divorce practice of the day. Because he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Now, he's speaking very curtly here. And I need to back up, or really advanced to Matthew 19 when that specific question, that topic was brought to him by the religious leaders again as a test. They said in Matthew 19, is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason? And they were trying to pull him into a debate between two rabbinical schools. The school of Hillel and Shammai were debating as to what any reason was. They were referencing Deuteronomy 24 verse 1, which is kind of a, a a debatable text, but it uses the phrase, some indecency. If a man finds some, a specific indecency in his wife, let, her give, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And they were wondering, what is that indecency? And one school said, it's sexual immorality. And the other school said, it's anything. Um, you find somebody you like better. Make sure you give her the certificate of divorce. They were, they were caught up on that. And I want to point out that in his response to that, Jesus takes it back to Adam and Eve and God making two one. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. And the Pharisees were focused on divorce and they were focused on Moses saying, issue a certificate of divorce. And Jesus was focused on marriage and God's intention for it and the hardness of heart that required Moses to issue that concession. Giving a certificate was a way of slightly protecting the woman. And you should read the rest of that passage. It actually wasn't about the divorce so much as not being allowed to remarry someone you've already divorced who's married again and come back. So you got to look at that. But the Pharisees were trying to figure out 
how can I honor the letter of the Ten Commandments and not commit adultery, but get away with everything else I want to do? And Jesus got real serious on them here. They were flipping about it, and he said, this is a form of adultery, adultery and idolatry. And it's serious, and it's worth fighting for. Marriage is important. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that it's a mystery. Marriage is a mystery, and it points us to the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And he's fighting for his bride to present her perfect, purified. Marriage is worth fighting for. It is important. God intends it for our character growth and development. If we look at it individualistically, we think, what can I get out of marriage or sex? How does it fulfill, fulfill me or please me? And God looks at, it, looks at it as the primary unit of discipleship. How can I help my spouse become the man or woman God intends them to be? How can I learn about my selfishness, my shortcomings, my needs, better than to come that close to somebody? When I think about my own marriage, you know, it's t- our marriage is till death do us part, but Heather is my sister in Christ for eternity, and I'm her brother in Christ for eternity. The marriage is temporary. The discipleship is eternal. And so if we look at marriage as a way that we are becoming more like Christ, when there are struggles in it, we realize it's a discipleship opportunity, not, oh, I've made a terrible choice. I've got to get out of this thing. It's hard, so I quit. No, it's never designed to do that. It's about reconciliation. It's about growth. Jesus loves his bride, the church, so much that he was willing to fight for her to come and die on the cross for our sins, to reconcile us and to heal us and give us freedom and a good relationship the way it's supposed to be. The way it's supposed to be. Marriage is about learning to love, learning to give ourselves away. Of course it's hard, but as I said, God invented it, and so his power, his presence is there to help it. I want you to fight for it. I want you to work at it. I want you to get help. If you're contemplating it, I want you to get teaching and counseling, premarital counseling, so you're ready, so you know what you're walking into. I'm going to close just by encouraging you to consider doing the marriage course. We're, I think, 40-some couples are right now going through the marriage course that the Alpha people put out. It's excellent. You can do it in your home, entirely online. It is full of grace. It is full of goodness and amazing content, and the structure is really helpful. We're going to run it again, coming up soon. I want to encourage you to do it. And not surprisingly, the first time through, the people that are signed up, when I looked on the Zoom call, I, I know a lot of their stories, and I admire their marriages. It's the people who who know how important marriage is and are already invested in it that show up for the class. The ones that are struggling don't want to do it. And they're the ones that could potentially benefit the most. But I want to encourage you to look into that. God's freedom, his power, his encouragement, his Holy Spirit is present in the midst of marriage. It's a good thing. Jesus is raising our understanding about it because he loves us, not because he wants to restrain us. He wants to heal our land.